like, oh, well, you're waking up on the wrong side of the bed. And then everything that happens is now going to be on the wrong side of the bed. But if you come up and you wake up in the morning happy and you put a smile on your face, even if you're not feeling happy, but that's what you're wearing to the world, people judge you, whether you want to believe it or not, they're going to judge how you look. And if you have a smile on your face, they're going to be more likely to approach you. And not only that, that's going to help fuel you as well that there's there's studies out there facial feedback effects that whatever you put on your face is actually internalized and it's going to affect your emotions as well yeah and then that also from a social psychology standpoint it's also going to affect how other people interact with you as well one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of See One Beautiful Soul. So great to have you here. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell your friends about this podcast, Forward Episodes, and tell them which minute to listen to. It, I found that very effective because I feel like you sent them a little greeting card. Oh, I was thinking about you in this one section. I think you'd really, really appreciate it. I've been thinking a lot lately about how we use our words And we're going to get into it in this episode because our neuroscientist, Dr. Haley, who you just heard a little sound clip of, is so phenomenal, so approachable, so easy to talk to, and really makes brain science bite-sized enough so that you can actually like ingest it, think about it, marinate on it, and actually do something about it and take action to actually change your life. I've been thinking about this idea of how we use our words, not just for our own mental health, but also how we can affect others. Recently, I I said something and somebody completely misinterpreted it. And in my own little community of friends, it sort of got around and became a great topic of conversation. And I was contacted by someone I didn't even know who I guess had heard this misinterpretation of something that I said completely out of context. And they, they questioned me like I was a horrible person you know, how could you say this? And I said, well, first of all, you don't know me. Did you take the time, listen to my podcast, watch the videos that I create, uh, the books that I write, the speeches that I give? Did you, did you take the time to, to get to know me first? And, you know, this person actually said, yes, I did. And that's why I was so confused because I had heard this thing that you said, and I was just so puzzled. Like, why would you say that? And I said, well, actually what you heard is not actually what I said. I, I said this, and I understand how that one line taken out of context could, could be completely misconstrued. But what you're hearing that I said is actually not what I said. And also, if you just took a moment to talk to me about it, which I'm so glad you have the courage to do now, I don't mean the thing that you heard that I said taken out of context. So thanks for taking the time to, to call me. And it got me thinking about how very often in today's culture, we see memes, right? These short videos, and uh, there might be a caption attached of, of someone saying something derogatory who's maybe a celebrity or someone you don't even know. And all of a sudden, that person gets framed in a particular way. And we we see this one soundbite, this one clip of the person, and we say, oh, that's who they really are. And meanwhile, they may have been taken completely out of context you'll never take the time probably to get to know them because you're just living your life. But when someone brings up their name or mentions that meme or that 
image that you saw, you go, oh, of course I know who that is. And you associate them with that line. It made me think of um, in Judaism, we have this idea that if you speak slander against a person or defame them or take their, their name or something that they said out of context, it's almost as if you've committed murder. Why? Because the person who doesn't know them yet, when they think of that person, because that's all they know about them, they will see a completely different person, thereby murdering the original innocent person. And how often do I do that myself? Or even if I know the person, which generally I probably don't, but would I take the time to have a conversation with them if I could? And even though this happened on a very small scale and it was just a really small community group of friends, it really hurt because I, you know, some of these people I didn't know at all and they are now walking around probably thinking whatever, or they probably forgot about it by now. But it was just such a great case study in terms of what I'm doing here on this podcast to try to rebuild the world with our words and take the time to ask questions about things that upset us and go to the source, go to that person, go to that newspaper, go to that celebrity, go as much as you can to try to repair it and say, oh, where were they coming from? Why did they say it this way? What did they really mean? Uh, And we don't even realize that we could literally be destroying the world with our words or rebuilding it. And how often are you sitting at a table and someone's just slandering like a politician or a celebrity or someone in the community that you know? And how often does someone take the time to say, well, let's think about it from the other perspective. What did they really mean? I know since this happened to me uh, and I had a momentary sense of feeling like I didn't belong and feeling so lonely and so hurt, even though it was just a couple of people, I started to question myself and I used it as an opportunity to say, how often am I standing up and, and going against the grain of, of the conversation? Try to protect the underdog or the innocent or the person who probably doesn't want, if, if they were sitting right there, they wouldn't want those things being said about them. And I have to say, I got a lot of cleaning up to do myself. And I think all of us, if we're being honest, you know, those times that we're a bystander and we roll our eyes or we laugh at a joke at someone else's expense, It's very hard because I also work in the comedy world sometimes and I've done cabaret shows where it's partly comedy, partly, you know, telling sad stories and then singing about it. Um, But I have done stand-up before. It's it's hard to do that kind of stuff without poking fun. And yet the whole reason I started this podcast is because I feel like it's just completely gotten out of control. And it almost is getting worse because with these algorithms of what we're watching all day long on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, the things that our phone, right, the great gods of the phone um, are sending us, we could literally stay in one world and there could be five different worlds going on outside of it and we'll never know. And so how often, going along with what I just said about, you know, quote unquote, murdering someone's character, how often are we are we taking part in also murdering somebody's character all day long because we're just watching things that slander people or defame them without really taking the time consciously to say, do I want to get closer to the world or do I want to run away and and just have this one little group of people that eventually, if we keep going at this rate, everyone is going to be canceled or defamed anyway. People commenting on what Joe Rogan says and should he have the freedom to say whatever he wants to say? Is it misinformation? What's misinformation? And I don't want to get into what's misinformation and how do we correct it? I I could never do that because honestly, I think it's always evolving. And uh, I heard Tony Robbins once say, it's not the facts that are making you suffer. It's your interpretation of the facts. So even when something is factual, something is scientifically proven, it can still make people suffer 
unnecessarily, right? So, so too, how we speak about ourselves and other people and how we interpret what other people say. It just got me thinking that I really want to make a course on how to come together, come together, you know, find that middle ground, that beautiful place of, I have beginner's mind. I'm not actually sure what this meant. And I also want to make sense of it for my heart. You see, even if someone says something that could, God forbid, offend you, there might be something that is triggering that person to say that which might have hurt your heart. And also that might be, as you being the listener, could also be triggered unnecessarily. And how do we live in a world where we're not constantly stepping on landmines, but we're actually trying to help and unite one another in this superpower called godliness or love or a beautiful universe that's not unkind, that's not chaotic, that's that has divine order. How do we how do, would we live? How would we speak? How would we listen if we actually believed that everything everything was happening for our good? Even when your chips are down and you feel like a, a sense of lack and a sense of not belonging. You know, the sense of belonging for human beings is more important than money. It's more important than food. You see studies of, of kids uh, being bullied or becoming bullies or joining forces in, in things that are really unhealthy, like gang violence and stuff like that. And my very first guest, Azim Kamisa, his son was killed with one bullet, one shot, one time because of four 14-year-old kids wanted to join a gang. And his son, unfortunately, was, was a victim of murder because of that undying need uh, for belonging. Learned a lot about belonging in the last few weeks. One of the ways out of that need and that sense is by putting your hands on your heart. You can do this right now and just taking a deep breath and finding your own sense of belonging. You are your own unique, beautiful puzzle piece to this gorgeous world that has divine order in it, even when we can't feel it or see it. And, you know, watching the news can make us crazy and make us think that the world's, it sounds like craziness, but we are always, if you, if your heart is beating right now and you can breathe, thank God, then you are definitely here for a huge purpose. Some of it you may know, some of it you may have not even discovered yet. And that will never change as long as you're still here. Taking the time consciously to say, what kind of a yardstick am I using to measure character? What, what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be accepting and loving? And what does it mean to be a human? Can we, do we have any room to make mistakes? Do we always have to say the perfect thing? And what does it even mean to say the perfect thing? What is the ultimate way to speak and be heard and understood from our heart to another heart, from our soul to another soul? And are we all connected or are we really, really disjointed? And are we all completely different from each other? These are the biggest questions I've been asking myself for the past two weeks. And I'm actually as painful as it was to go through that moment of, do people not like me? Do people don't trust me? Do, you know, is the whole world against me? I thought it was such a great opportunity to think about what I'm doing here, how I'm using my words and how I can use this platform and this podcast to go even deeper in how we can all get closer to one another and to be kind. So I just wanted to share that with you. I needed to hear that message this week. And I always try to share whatever I'm going through because I think universally we're all learning as a human race something at the same time, whether we're aware of it or not. I hope that helped somebody who's listening. And I know with certainty that all the things that we talk about in this episode with Dr. Haley are going to help your heart. So take a deep breath, 
If you're going to be driving, make sure you take time to pull over and write stuff down that inspires you because she's going to give you practical things you can do to heal your brain and your mind. And those are two different things. And share this episode with somebody who could really use it. Dr. Haley, I'm so excited to hang out with you. We met on Clubhouse and we met in the middle of the pandemic and (laughs) in this really weird, don't you feel like it's like a time warp zone? Like Clubhouse is its own family of like people really odd like it was one of those things I'm not a big social media person at all and here's this new social media app and I'm like "Ah, I can lay in bed nobody has to see me and I get to talk because I don't like typing I'm not like I love speaking but writing things down like especially I'm just such a perfectionist I'm like I just get in my head too much but on clubhouse I just get to be me and I don't overthink it and then that's how I've met some amazing people because, you know, I'm gravitating towards people that are like me and people like me are gravitating back to me. And it's, it's been wonderful, but it literally seems like I've known you for like six, seven years and it's been right. what, seven months. Because <laughs> yeah. Clubhouse it, and anyone who hasn't been on Clubhouse, you kind of have to just jump on for a minute and you should, cause it's, it's kind of a whole form of life. Um, and I know Facebook jumped on the bandwagon for a minute and is like trying to get people to do clubhouse on there, but it is like a party line from what only if you grew up in the eighties and the nineties, you kind of understand this, that like we had these phones that didn't have anything to look at. We only could hear each other. And it was like this radio play of what I think my grandmother went through, which she had to be at that radio hour for her favorite shows. It's, it's this wonderful, uh, imaginative place where it's real life. And I feel like it's even more real than FaceTime in a way, because you really dig into listening from a mm-hmm. different place. And we both are on this thing called the mental wellness. I think now it's called the encouragement hour, but it's a four hour um, program. And we are moderators or you're an expert. I feel like I'm still working on what I'm an expert in, but I I do a lot of cool things. And we have uh, a bunch of friends that are moderators from all walks of life, doctors, you're a neuroscientist, psychologists, healers, coaches. And every week we get hundreds of people that come in during the pandemic that are like, I'm lonely, I'm going through trauma, I have post-trauma. And it's, I'm so honored that Mark, who started it, Mark Hayford, who's an awesome author and DJ and coach uh, started it and pulled me in because I've been there from the first day. I think you've also been there from almost day one. Yeah. I think I might've missed like one week. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we help people live and it's so wonderful. And so I just keep coming back and I just keep (laughs) thinking of this one and, you know, I'm going to, we don't have replays in our room for anonymity, but this one person who suffered from a stroke pre pandemic. And then now when this person comes into the room and shares the stories that they're doing and like going cliff, well, not cliff jumping, but you know, like rock climbing, that's the word I was thinking. I don't think cliff, but rock climbing and I wouldn't put it past on the dating scene. Like it's just, it's amazing what the transformation that we've been able to see. And I would like to think that we had a little part in that transformation and that resiliency that we're seeing with so many people and it's, it's, it's something that I look forward to every Wednesday. Me every too. Wednesday. It doesn't feel like work and no. I know I'm supposed to be there. And I, I sometimes will sing a Celine Dion song and, you know, but I, I, yeah, anyway, I'm so happy to have you. I'm so glad that that's, we are coming from a place of service 
And so it's so cool to just share that with people. Um, So I want you to take us back because you are so not the normal neuroscientist. You kind of remind me of my biology. You both have in common is that you're so not in the box of what I consider a neuroscientist, so approachable, and you have so much knowledge and you give it over in such wonderful bite-sized nuggets. So honored to like get to hang out with you and share you with my listeners because at C1 Beautiful Soul, we're really after the three Fs, you know, forgiveness, freedom, and failure also. How do we deal? How does the brain deal with those things? And so I want to kind of dig in a little bit, but before we do, I would love to hear a little bit about how you got into this. Like, were you that nerdy four-year-old girl that was like looking at animals outside and saying, how do you think? Like, where did the neuroscientist or scientist part of you come from? It was always my passion for curiosity. I still to this day, I get made fun of when people meet me for the first time. I feel like my husband will be like, seriously, you trapped them in the corner. And I'm like, no, I was in the corner. They were like, just, they wanted to be around. And all I was doing, just asking people questions. And so, and so I'm kind of known as like the woman of a thousand questions when people meet me, they're like, do I really have time to talk to Haley now? Cause she's going to like get into my soul. <laughs> um, I'm not always like that though. I promise. And um, I like how you said, get into my soul, not my brain. That's another reason I love you because you take it to a heart level. It's not just about this. So anyway, keep going. (laughs) Um, So it was always just, I've always been a curious kid about everything. Um, And I was, I was always very good at math and science, Uh, reading, writing, social studies. I still get made fun of to this day. Like there'll be times where I mix up like which came first, the revolutionary war or the civil war, like really obvious thing. Like, yes, I know which one came first, but there will be some times where I'm just like, wait, who attacked who in that war? And, you know, so it's just, that's not my strong suit. Right. But the math and sciences, I always gravitated towards it. It was something that just naturally came easy for me. So, um, and I grew up in Ithaca, New York. So Cornell University is right there. And there was this Cold. girls empowerment, like summer camp that I did all about just exploration in the lab. And so I knew I wanted to just go more into science, but at the same point, I loved tap dancing and singing and I was really into musical theater. So in high school, that was real. I was actually more known as like a theater geek and not necessarily like a science geek. Um, but then when I went to college, I'm like, Hmm, where do I, where do I bet my exit? You know, like where, where's, where's the most success rate that I'm going to have in the sciences, which is clearly very hard or in, you know, musical theater. I wanted to be way harder. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, someone who lives in that world, you know, (laughs) put all my eggs in this basket over here. But I picked a school that allowed me to minor in musical theater. So I still was encouraged and you know able to still perform and do all the things that I loved that I had a lot of passion for, but be able to focus on the sciences. But I, of course, thought I'm like, when I went into college, I was like, I want to be a doctor, a medical doctor. So I was bio pre-med and I took one intro psych class. I had no, like I had never taken psychology and I, my high school didn't offer it. And so just as my elective, I could have picked any you know, general studies elective. And I picked psych and I'm like, oh my God, this is what I, I don't care about photosynthesis and stuff like that, that I was learning in some of my bio classes. I want to learn about human behavior, why people do what they do and the brain. And then it wasn't until later on in my journey that I really actually uh, found myself studying more about animal behavior and doing research in an animal lab. Um, I was always very like clinical focused. I thought I wanted to go into that. Um, 
but through various research experiences and, you know, I was with the National Institutes of Health and then in graduate school, um, you know, various animal studies that I did, I was just like, no, I, I could do a lot more with the brain and ask different questions with animals as my subjects instead of humans as my subjects. And um, yeah, I, it was, it's still to this day that, I mean, I can't believe that I was able to earn my PhD and get paid to do that at the same time by asking questions. That's all I did. Like I was just a curious person. I wanted to understand the mechanisms behind certain behaviors. And then I just spent years finding the answer and figuring it out. And that was always, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is my life. This is awesome. This is what I want to do. And now I get to teach it. And now I get to instill this passion on a daily basis with my students and my clients to really be able to say, this is what I've learned through my you know, years of experience and expertise, but then also through other people, what they've done and accomplished and learned and answered. And I also love it when a student asks me a question that I don't know the answer to. And I'm just like, well, either I just don't know the answer, but if you ask my husband, I know everything, right? So it's <laughs> probably not likely true. Or nobody knows the answer to that. And go figure it out, go find mm -hmm. that answer, go test it in a lab, go, you know, meet people who might be able to find that answer for you. And, you know, I, I just, I love that. So long story short, curiosity is what got me here. Love it. I have that too, which is why I make documentaries and interview people on the street. Um, so my second question to you is when did you have to do your biggest piece of forgiveness? What, what was that moment in your life? And you knew this question was coming. I knew I this, I thought that. it was going to come way at the end. <laughs> well, we're going to, we're going to morph into how you can help other people with their brain and forgiveness. But before we do that. So forgiveness, the big, so I was kind of going back and forth about if I wanted to share this story with you or not. Um, but I'm like, as well, you're my friends and I, you know, this is all about soul and forgiveness, but, um, so I was sexually assaulted in college and the, yeah. So the, the person who did that to me, obviously doesn't deserve my forgiveness, right? Doesn't deserve to do any of these things, but it took me years to be able to go through that. And I found that by me forgiving him, it was really, it was such a load off of myself and that I was able to say, okay, you know, I'm not giving him excuses for what happened, but it helped heal me so much more, but I still, it took me even longer to forgive myself. And that was the piece that really transformed me. And so that I can kind of just throw it out in conversation. Hey, I was sexually assaulted, not, not making light of it, but my true healing and the true journey that I went through over all of that time was that forgiveness of myself. And that was the hardest part. It's so easy to forgive other people, but then when it comes to forgiveness of yourself and the you know decisions that you may or may not have made and you know what I chose to wear and who I was with and you know all of those things that that's what really took the most work and the most effort but it is what made me who I am now and that I am able to talk about it and be able to share that story and and empathize with people who might be going through something similar that might have happened in their past or that they're currently going through and you know, it, it's, it's, it was, that was the big thing for me for the forgiveness. That was truly the end of my healing journey. And I'm not done healing. Everybody is constantly healing and surviving something. Right. But that was the pivotal, pivotal moment in my life that was just like, okay, I can move on. I can move forward. 
Beautiful. Uh, you you speak so eloquently. Uh, wow, you just put so much in that small bit. Um, I have I had no idea. I've hung out with you once a week for the whole year, and we've talked about really deep stuff together and with other people. And what's what's so amazing to me about people who've done a lot of work on forgiveness is that you just don't see it on them. Like there's some people like we we have a friend in common who wrote to me today, and and I was saying, hmm, how do you have guidance on this? And you know, this person is so wrapped up in their stuff and it's all over them. This pain is here and that pain is there. And all you have to do is scratch the surface and it's like vomit of like, this is all the pain that I've been through. And I would never have known that you went through that because you don't, you carry it only in the strength of your muscles. And um, that's a beautiful way of putting it. But I'm not to say, I I used to be that person. I was the person that you would look at me funny and I would be a, a, an emotional wreck, right? And it yeah. was a roller coaster for a really long time until I truly did that deep dive into figuring out myself. And I, like I said, forgiving myself. Well, I'm really- not, I'm, I'm amazed, but I'm not surprised. And here's why I'm not surprised because you have such a heart for helping other people because I've heard you in real time be there for people who are going through a really difficult time or trauma. And so- it occurred to me as you were just saying about forgiveness of yourself for people who are um, survivors, not victims, but survivors of sexual assault. There is a moment um, I I haven't, I've been assaulted several times. Um, Thank God. I, you know, there are levels. uh, These are like, I would consider mild levels of it. Um, but there, there is that feeling as you were talking, I'm like, it's not just what you wear. It's not just who you're hanging out with. It's not just how, how many drinks you had or whatever the, the case may be that got you to that scenario. But it's also, there's a part of us, each of us, no matter how little we are, no matter how scrawny we are, we think I will save my, I will be my superhero and I will save myself from any tyranny or, or bigotry or bullying that will happen to me. And and I wonder, as, as I'm sitting here, because I know you're a God-centered person also, do you think it's possible that there's a part of you that needed to forgive God for not protecting you from that moment? I've never thought of that. Because honestly, I I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of glad that it happened now in hindsight, because wow. it has allowed me to, I mean, that's why... So that is one of the main reasons why I picked intro psych to take. So this happened my freshman year of college. And so when it was time to pick an elective, I'm like, what's going on? So I picked psych so that I could learn more about that. And then, so it really, that shifted my path. And then that's why I thought I wanted to go into clinical psychology and do that kind of work. And so I tried it and then realized, no. And so it allowed me to really kind of hone in on what I wanted for myself. But then even more than that, I have two young boys now that I'm raising and I am raising them. I mean, obviously I haven't gone into details. I haven't talked to their too young to, they don't even know what sex is yet. Right. So I can't talk about that yet, but they absolutely know about respecting other people and not just respecting women. It's respecting everybody on this earth. And, you know, just this, and empathy and just no means no, whether it's, you know, can I ride your back? You know, can I jump on your back and go up the stairs? And then they just jump on me. I said, I said, no, this is my body. This is my space. And I said, no. And, you know, in my mind, I'm taking it very seriously, but to them, they're just like, oh, okay, it's not time to jump on mommy's back, but they're getting that. They're learning those, those skills that I think a lot of young boys and young men have to learn 
the hard way. And, um, you know, so I, I honestly, I, I feel like I'm, I'm creating these two little gentlemen that are going to come in the world with respect. And, you know, at least I, I pray that that's what's going to happen. But I never blamed God. I really, I never did. And I am a woman of faith. And, you know, there was a time where I stopped going to church for a while where I was just kind of questioning myself, but, um, and questioning my faith, but it wasn't an, I actually, I never, no, that's the first, you're the first person to ask me that, but no, I never, I don't mean it. And I don't mean it. See, as a Jew, and I I know the Judeo-Christian mindset shares this, people do evil things. No one is born evil. There is nature and nurture. There are evil parts of all of us. It's Mm -hmm. it's there. It's in the makeup of human souls. And yet we are supposed to be angry at the act, not necessarily the soul of the person. Mm -hmm. And it's not God that programs the person to do the bad thing. We choose it. We have free will. He did protect me. I'm standing here right now. Exactly. Yeah. But I, but I, and I, I didn't mean to go on this big tangent, but I want no, to okay. just <laughs> listen. Oh, good. But just listening to you, I think that there are some people that would say you were worried about protecting yourself. You, you had a hard time forgiving yourself. And I totally get that. And that is empowering actually, because you go through the steps and you say, well, what was I wearing? How can I, you know, and I'm not saying that women shouldn't be allowed to wear whatever they want, but I have issues about certain things and how we dress also. And yet I also think that everything that happens to us is for us, for our good. And it's and all for greater good too, not even just for us, for society. <laughs> exactly. Cause look at what you're doing with your kids. Okay, great. So now let's go back to the brain. Uh, you know, that's why I said, I was like, oh, I hope she asked that at the very end. I like loosened me up a little bit before I just jump in. Hey, well, by the way, <laughs> this podcast is an experiment for the listener that I hope that no matter what you do, whoever's listening right now, we will all go into the world and think to ourselves, every single human, every single animal, every single plant, every, everyone is dealing with forgiveness in a way. Mm-hmm. And if we were to start every job interview, I mean, I know you for a year already and it feels like a lot longer, but you know, if we were to to start every conversation, even at the post office with the person behind us who's yelling at us, you know, hurry up with what was your biggest piece of forgiveness? And if we lived in a world where we really believe that everyone would just open up and start talking to us about that, how different would this whole world be? Right. So I do start out with that because I think it just gets us right into, you know, now my listeners are not just like, oh my gosh, she's a neuroscientist. I'm not worthy. I don't even know how to understand what she's about to say. Now they, they know you. All right. So, um, and it's a little piece of you, but it's a, it's a big piece. So, um, how does forgiveness help us with brain chemistry? So when, when we're putting yourself in that frame of mind, so I use gratitude as example, right? And I kind of can clump forgiveness and gratitude, very different, but what you're doing is you are setting in place the neural circuitry for that frame of mind, right? And so what happens anytime you have a habit, right? Good, bad, or ugly. Your brain doesn't really matter. It's because you've repeated it over and over and over again. You've gotten, you know, there's dopamine signals that are going when it's pleasurable, when it feels good. And that's going to really instill this circuitry so that it becomes a habit so that it's become second nature, just like riding a bike, right? You try and you try and you try. Eventually you just get it. And now it's stuck forever. Right? I can't unlearn how to ride a bike, but when you get in this place of forgiveness mentality and what what ends up happening is the release that you get 
that end result of feeling good, you have, you know, because you've developed that habit, now your brain is in imprinted almost. It's intrinsically going to follow along those neural pathways. So the brain likes to follow the pathways of least resistance, just like a river is going to come down. It's not going to try to go upstream. It's not going to go through this really rocky area. It's going to go where there's less resistance. And the brain does that too. It's not, it doesn't want to fight against you. It's going to go in the path that it's most familiar because familiar means safe, right? And so if it's most familiar in this forgiveness mindset or this mindset of gratitude or, you know, whatever affirmations that you have, that is the pathway that's going to be the automatic response. So over time, eventually you, every single person you meet you're going to automatically have that mindset and it's going to manifest itself throughout your whole body, your body language, your intentions, everything is going to be a place of forgiveness that we all have sinned. We all have baggage and we all deserve forgiveness. And I think that makes you who you are and makes it so easy to talk to you and why people come to you and ask for advice and listen to your podcast because they know uh -huh. that you have a genuine heart and with the, you know, the brain circuitry, the, the neural pathways, we, it's very plastic and we can make changes anytime we want, mm. right? We can wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to be an ass the rest of my life. <laughs> Not that I would <laughs> encourage you to do that, but you can start setting habits and patterns. And then the more you repeat them, the stronger those connections are going to be. And those are going to be the automatic circuits that happen. So if you right. find yourself attracting people who are and ask, maybe check right. yourself. How are you waking up in the morning? Yeah. Are you grumpy? Are you treating people without respect? And that's this whole idea of, you know, just putting out in the universe what you want, right? right. It's just like, yes, if you keep saying up on the wrong side of the bed and then everything that happens is now going to be on the wrong side of the bed. But if you come up and you wake up in the morning and you have your I'm morning grateful routine, to be alive. you're yep. happy and you put a smile on your face, even if you're not feeling happy, but that's what you're wearing to the world. People judge you, whether you want to believe it or not, they're going to judge how you look. And if you have a smile on your face, they're going to be more likely to approach you. And not only that, that's going to help fuel you as well that there's there's studies out there facial feedback effects that whatever you put on your face is actually internalized and it's going to affect your emotions 100%. as well yeah and then that also from a social psychology standpoint it's also going to affect how other people interact with you as well so there's right. so much behind that question of you know what's going on in I the know. brain with forgiveness but it really does set that intentionality for the rest of your day right and if and the opposite is true too which you also yeah. just said that if you approach everyone like, I don't trust anyone until they prove to me that they are trustworthy. Well, when you do that, what you're actually looking for is their untrustworthiness, if that's a word. And the more you do that, you're going to attract a lot of very nervous people who are afraid and the fear is going to lead you. So you get to choose how that is. And some of my middle school students are like, yeah, but why should I trust anyone? Because they've been so hurt and scorned and bullied because this is the age where people test things. So let's get a little deeper on this. So how much do words said by ourselves, said by other, impact the brain chemistry? I, and, and I want to give you a moment to like really unpack it because I know you could probably do a dissertation on this and we only have a certain amount of time. So I'm going to just tell you a really quick story because you said you wanted to get to know me too a little bit. When I was 31, I did not have um, a breakdown. I was functional. I was working. I had like this crazy job. It was awesome. 
Um, and I also was still acting. So um, I was able to, to manage a lot, but my brain had major monkey mind. And if you're not sure what that is, you can look it up. It's, it's basically when you feel like the, the thoughts won't stop and you, you go to bed scared, you wake up scared of that. Um, you may not even be able to sleep at the time. I didn't have mania. I didn't have major depression, but I had enough and I was very, very anxious. And I figured out that it was because I turned 31. So what happened when I was 30? Um, when I was 29, I had met this one rabbi and I was very, very in the thick of my learning Judaism from 24 to 32. I was like, I did everything my rabbis told me to do. Like, if you really want to get married and you really want to have a great relationship, not like what your parents had, this is all the steps you have to do. And so I took it all on. Um, and I was working in Hollywood, which was very challenging, you know, being like an Orthodox Jew in Hollywood. I did every single thing that prayers, 40 minutes every morning, but it was all for what they said. There was a, a fruit at the end of the tunnel for me. And it was marriage and it was this perfect marriage. It was this per everything was going to be perfect if I just did X, Y, and Z, which God is not a soda machine. You don't put in, you know, the commandments and then get out what you want. No, you, you you are a good person and you do the, the right thing because you have integrity because you want to make the world a better place, period. There's nothing you're going to get at the end. Yes, there will be wonderful things you attract into your life, but that's not how God, God's not a slot machine, right? So it took me a while to really learn this lesson. I knew it intellectually, but at 30, uh, at 28, a rabbi had said to me, and this is the worst thing anyone could ever say. So if you're a person in clergy or a person of influence, please don't ever say this to somebody. If you do all these things, by 30, you'll be married. By 30, you'll you'll have whatever it is that you want. Don't ever do that. Don't ever play you know, psychic with anyone. It's just bad. I didn't care the entire time I was 30, but at my 31st birthday, I went into such a dark place because somewhere neurologically, and this took me a while to figure out, I went, oh, it was so acute, right? And thank God, because so much of what we go through is acute and people don't, they say, oh, I just have what my parents have. And I have, you know, I've learned all that, that, you know, my parents are depressed, so I will be depressed. Okay. It may be in your chemistry, but you have so much more power than you think. And you have to look for these acute signs. So you can go, I'm not crazy. This just happened. I was just in a car accident or this triggered me, right? So to get to the end of the story, at 31, I went through this dark hole. It was a wonderful thing because it made me take mindfulness classes way more seriously. And it became a bigger part of what I wound up doing. Because when I went through that, I said, I will never allow any of my students or someone I care about to go through this ever again. And when I figured out that I was fighting with this major thought that I took, almost like a mantra, by 30, I'll be married, by 30, I'm doing all these things, by 30, those were my words that I said to myself that injured me. That's when I went, okay, I got to get rid of that because I can't even go back if I wanted to. I'm in the present now and I'm moving forward. And once I really made peace with that, I injured myself by saying this negative, nasty mantra every day, which was by this age, you'll do this. If you just do these three things, um, I was able to heal. And of course that rabbi got a big talking to for me because he, <laughs> he was the influencer that made me choose to do not such good things to myself. Um, and it took a while, it took a good year because this was the breaking point of all the capsules of negative thought that were just waiting to be opened and healed that I was running from for so long. 
And that's when I got to know my own brain. And it was super scary because how often do we take the time to sit and get to know our brain? I remember McCain said that when he was in solitary confinement, he was so grateful, which is such a high level. I thought he was such a great man um, to have time with his brain, right? To look at it that way. So my point to you after all this is how do our own words and the words of others actually have an impact on our brain or do they? They do. Absolutely. 100%. You are not an anomaly. And this is the power of, you know, when everybody sometimes, so 10 years ago, I wouldn't have even been open to this conversation with you because I was always thinking, oh, that's so frou-frou and, you know, like all this mantras and positive affirmations and visualizations. I was, you know, I was with this group and they wanted to do vision boards. And I'm like, seriously, like, I'd rather go watch Real Housewives on TV. Like, this is just ridiculous. This is a waste of time. Anybody can cut out pictures in a magazine and put it on their wall and call it a day. Like, it really, I, I just, I did what I was supposed to do, but I didn't really believe it and I didn't own it. And guess what? It didn't happen. But then the people who did, it did start working for them because they were, it's that repetition. As I mentioned before, the brain for neuroplasticity, one of the quickest ways to really change the circuitry in your brain is through repetition and through continuing to do it, especially if you tie an emotion to it, if it's something new and novel. And another way to kind of really increase neuroplasticity is increasing oxygen to your brain through aerobic exercise, right? But that's, even if you don't add that, let's just talk about as the question that you asked was that repeating it and from your own voice. Now, let's say I want to be a multi-gazillionaire and I want to own my own private island, right? That's, that's my big, and it's not, but let's just, I mean, I'm not going to say no, but that's not what I go to bed dreaming about, right? But let's just say it is that. And every night before bed, I'm imagining the smells. I'm visualizing myself in the sand. I'm feeling the sand on my toes. I'm hearing the waves crash and the seagulls and the smell of the freshly opened coconut. I don't, you know, all of these things. And you're really getting very vivid imagery, not just visual imagery, but auditory, tactile. You're getting all of that imagery in your, in your mind. And then... You do it over and over and over again. And what happens is your you brain cannot, yeah, your brain can't distinguish between reality and these visual visualizations because it's it's gonna start functioning as if you already have achieved that. So you're going to show up to work. Your mind is going to be functioning as that multi-gazillionaire with the private island, and you need to leave by 4:30 so you can catch your private jet to go to your private island, right? And that, and you might not consciously be doing those things and making those decisions, but the brain is automatically all of those routine things that are just habitual are going to be from that mindset of having already achieved that. So unfortunately for you, you were putting in this idea of, well, I have to be married because in your mind, that meant that you have achieved some level of whatever definition of success you had in your mind at that time, which I'm right. sure you've redefined it, right? So what success- I had no what, choice, but right. also, sorry to stop you. No, it okay. has to look like this and I have to dress like this and I have to be okay. this religious and this level because the rabbi said- and. That's why I was so angry. So were you doing yeah. it to be a good girl, a good Jew, or were you doing it because you thought that that was what you it, needed to do to achieve what you wanted or what you needed to do to, to make them happy? 
It was actually all of it. It was, okay. if I trust that it was like Alice in Wonderland, eat this and you'll go through the Wonderland faster. It's like, if, if I just do what this guy says, I'll get everything that I want. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, what I actually had to come to terms with, this is the bigger umbrella was I actually don't want exactly what he wants for me. And I definitely don't want to have to get it in order, in order to get it, have to look like this. Right. And so that so was that's where the power of influence is so important. Who you surround yourself with, the people that you choose, you are a sum of, you know, the five people that you spend the most time with and, you know, choose wisely. If you're choosing people who are constantly complaining and negative, then guess what? What does that show you, right? That's 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 what you're putting out there into the world too. That's the energy because that's who you're attracting. But if you surround yourself with powerful people who are really optimistic and you know whatever it is that your jam is, right? Whatever it is that you want to be, then surround yourself with people like that and it's going to start rubbing off on you because that's again, it's all about neuroplasticity. The brain wants to do the easiest path. And so through practice and creating those neural pathways that you have achieved whatever your definition of success is, you continue to visualize it. And then especially if you tie an emotion to it, how good is it going to feel when your feet are in the sand and you're sipping on that pina colada or whatever it is, right? That how good you're going to feel, that is what is going to also be really impacted and imprinted into that neural pathway as well. Right. And I listen to Esther Abraham Hanks and uh, the late and great Wayne Dyer. And I listen to Dr. Joe Dispenza. I've been to two of his retreats. And what I've learned from all of that, because they each have their own take on sort of law of attraction, what the bleep do we know type of stuff, which is the emotion absolutely has to be there. And you have to feel free and sort of like let go of any doubt that it will happen. But here's here's my question based on what you just said. If I were to imagine the sipping the pina colada and I can taste it in my mouth as I drink my uh, Arnold Palmer right now, that's mine. My, my <laughs> I was going to say it's a little early, don't you think, Barb? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I don't drink. I, I don't like it. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm Jewish. We we don't, that's not our thing. We eat. Um, but like, you know, if I am imagining that and yet I get there to the beach and in my mind somewhere, I'm like, judging it like well you really should be serving others more and you really should have this more the where does morality fit in there and where does that the limitation because according to esther abraham hicks if you really really see it and i have to imitate her and you know what you want you know what you don't want you know what you want you know what you don't want and you attract it and you feel it and you know it and you you feel it and there's no resistance and how wonderful is this and i did that i did that i was bringing it in right? Oh, that's my invitation. Thank you. Love it. Um, <laughs> when you, when you get, I know you know who she is. When you get to that place, it should just stick to you. Like I'm actually lucky that I had some doubt that I had some fear that I had some resistance against that life that I was picturing because, and this is what the only thing that really saved me from that deep, dark depression at that time. Cause I was so close was that I went, oh, thank God that didn't happen. I didn't want to be that super religious anyway or live in a world where I have to do all these things that I'm imagining in order to get that thing as opposed to really having no resistance and just imagining home or the the, the crux of it. So what do you say to that? Understand your why. You, that, that's what it is. Do that deep dive to really, truly understand why 
you want that private island, right? It's not just because it'll feel great. You really want a private island. I'm gathering that. But I'm just using the same analogy going forward. (laughs) Is it do I want that private island just because it's gonna feel awesome? No, I want that private island because that means that I have impacted so many people's lives to be able to have achieved this level of success that now I can own that private island, right? That I have been able to show up for my kids and their lives that they want to come visit me on my private island, that they're not just saying, mom, go go to your private island, don't talk to me, right? No, they're part of my vision. They're there playing in the sand with me, right? And so understanding that why is is imperative you have to and truly believe it and have your emotions tied and synced with it because if they're not then you're going to have that self-doubt and you're going to question is this really what I want and then you're not necessarily going and luckily for you like you said luckily you had that self-doubt because that wasn't true to you but for some people it absolutely is right and that oh yeah I know a million miserable people that were like I had the vision board. I had the wedding on there. I had the kid, the kids. I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. Some are very happy doing all of that and right. having to get. I, I'm just talking about the deeper why of it. I still want to be a mostly Orthodox Jew. I yes. still have all those convictions. I still want to keep Shabbat. I, and it's wonderful, actually. So many of the things that I went through to figure out exactly what kind of a practicing Jew I want to be. But I don't believe to this day, and I never will believe that God wants us. In order to get this prize or any of the things on my vision board, I have to do all these things in order to do it. It's more like, yes, be a good person anyway. Do the commandments anyway. Be kind anyway. Have morality anyway. Have a great why anyway. And also believe that you are entitled because you want these things, whatever it is that you want that you know is kosher for the world and good for your heart and your soul let yourself allow in and have no resistance to the fact that God is actually the universe, whatever you want to call it, the energy, as Dr. Joe would say, is allowing you just to, to, to let it come in. Is trusting your instincts. And you had that moment of resistance. And fortunately for you, you listened to it. And I think far too often, people don't listen to themselves, and they don't listen to their intuition. And maybe it's God, maybe it's the universe, maybe it's just themselves, knowing themselves saying, oh, this isn't what I really truly want. Right. And so truly listening to that and understanding it and then being able to say, okay, what is my why? Why am I doing this? And is this really the path that I want to go down? And thankfully for you, you listened to that, right? There's so many other times people, and they can get really caught up in, you know, cults. They can get caught up in, you know, like these really approval validation jobs that they think that they have to do or get stuck in marriages that they think that that's what they're supposed to do because they're following their vision board and they're doing all these things, but really it's, it's not their, their soul, their God, their universe, their inner child, whatever you want to call it is screaming to them. Stop. Don't do that. And they're not listening. But then once they do listen, that's when their life really starts. Yes. So last question, you've been so patient and wonderful with me. How can the typical person who's not a neuroscientist take care of their brain? on a regular basis. Like, for instance, I use mantra cards every morning. Um, I write them out. I have vision boards that I update. Uh, There's four Jewish New Year's every year. There's like the New Year of human beings, the New Year of the trees. So there's four different times a year that I can reflect 
you know, how am I dealing with the world? And and then every night before I go to sleep, I started doing them at night. It really helps. I write things that I need to hear. God loves me. The universe is conspiring for me. The greater good is working through me. It sounds so cliche and simple, but it really helps because right before bed, that's when I used to have those just crippling thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I don't have them anymore because I've focused on these things. So do you have any tips? And I know you have got a course and I really want to hear about it. Not because I work for you, but because I love you and I support your work. And I think you're amazing and super approachable and easy to talk to about all these crazy concepts. So give us t- tools that we can use because there are people listening right now who are not neuroscientists and they, they want to speak your language. So what can we do? So it's funny because you said, what can we do to really take care of our brain? And then the examples for things to take care of your mind. And I think oh, a lot of times people- You got me. Dr. Haley Touche, I love it. <laughs> and tell us so, And they really do go hand in hand. I consider the brain like the computer, right? And then the mind as the software. You need to have software in order for the brain to function, but you also need to have a functioning computer. It has to have the correct power supply and all of that in order for the software to even work. So you can do all the mantras in the world, but if you're not taking care of your brain, it doesn't really matter. And you can also take care of your brain, but if you're feeding your mind crap, then that's not gonna help either. So you really have to have this like synergistic approach where you're fueling your brain and fueling your mind. So in addition to the mantras and affirmations and visualizations that we already talked, another, I'll just give one more additional tip for fueling your mind, and then I'll talk about some brain tips. But Uh, for fueling your mind and really helping take care of that. I know we've talked about this. I think just in the last clubhouse room we did, we were talking about writing and the power of writing. And especially, so I I have a little anxiety, right? That that happens to me. I'm just one of those people that, you know, deals with anxiety like everybody else, it seems like. But one of the things, when I start having those ruminating thoughts and they usually happen right before bed and it's usually lists of things that I need to take care of tomorrow, right? Because I'm a procrastinator and I wait till the last minute to do all these things. One of the quickest, easiest things to do is to just write them down. Because if you write them down, pen to paper or pencil to paper, you are going to, you don't have to think about it anymore because it's there. And now I can free my mind to think about my gratitude or my prayers or my real housewives, whatever it is that I that is going to help me settle down for sleep, because that's number one, to actually help take care of your brain, the actual hardware is to sleep. And I know that that is one of the hardest things that we can do is get a good quality night's sleep. And, you know, that there's so many different tricks and tips and, you know, you could do monitors, make sure you're getting enough oxygen while you're sleeping. If you're a snorer, you know, make sure you don't actually have sleep apnea and all of that, because you really need to allow your brain to rest. Just like you need to allow your muscles to rest after a hard workout, your brain is constantly working. Even when you're sleeping, it's working. It's almost working more when you're sleeping than when you're actually active during the day. So you need to give it that time to consolidate those memories and to really hone in on what's important and to make sense of what just happened during the day so that the next day, 
you can be running on all four cylinders or six cylinders or whatever, right? So sleep, sleep, sleep. And I know that you've probably heard a lot of these tips so many times, but sleep, drink water, exercise, all of the things that your pediatrician has told you to do since the time you were four. And they continue to tell you that all the way up until, you know, you're, you're in your casket. But um, water, you need to have a proper balance of water. We are primarily made up of water. When we are dehydrated, the brain can't function well, right? And not only that, imagine yourself, you know, after a stomach bug and you've just, you know, lost all of those nutrients and you're dehydrated. That's not the best time to take a SAT test or to, you know, go on that job interview. Even if you're no longer sick and contagious, your brain isn't at full capacity because you need to have that proper balance of ions and proper balance of salts and sugars and water so that it can actually do what it's supposed to do. And that also leads to proper balance of foods and what you're actually feeding it and reducing inflammation. If you're pumping your body full of processed sugar and Pop-Tarts and I shouldn't put names out there. I love a good Pop-Tart every once in a while. Don't get me wrong. right? <laughs> but if I'm eating that every single day, yeah. you know, and, and it's a shame when we look and you work with, with kids. Like if you look at some of the school, like the school lunches that typically kids who can't afford good food on a, you know, the, all the really nutritious food, that's what they're eating every single day. And is it really fueling their brain and not just providing them the proper balance of calories and fats and proteins, but what, what is it? What is it made out of? What other chemicals are we putting into it? And so ideally you want to try to reduce inflammation. I do recommend and support people having a clean eating diet and, you know, really trying to reduce any of those extra inflammatory agents and increasing probiotics in our diet. So great way to do that naturally through good quality, you know, like fermented foods. But even, you know, for me, I'm not a huge like kombucha fan, right? So I'll take a supplement because I know that having the good microbiome, good gut microbiome is essential, not only for my digestive health, but also my brain health, because they really do communicate with each other. And I'm creating serotonin in my gut that it can be used to help feed my mind through my yep. mood and through my sleep wake cycle and all of these things. And, you know, there's that old saying, you are what you eat. And it is so absolutely true. And I wish I listened to my mom when I was a kid, because now this is, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually helping people through that journey. And it was something that I discovered on my own. It wasn't something that I was taught through, you know, I have my PhD from Johns Hopkins University. Hugh, and I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm saying that because do it impress. work. <laughs> but even through all those studies, and I knew, oh yeah, serotonin's precursors. You need to make sure that you have these amino acids in your diet in order to make sure that you can actually produce serotonin. But it wasn't until my own personal health journey that I discovered, ah, this inflammation and the benefits of probiotics and really taking care of my gut helped my mind and helped my mental wellness as well. So they really do go hand in hand. Beautiful. So we got the brain. Now, what can we do to heal our mind? First, like I said, writing things down, that pen to paper. I love doing that to help with my anxiety, especially before bed. But there's also something about just freestyle writing. And even if it's not right, if you're a child or if you're like for me, I don't really enjoy writing. I enjoy talking. So for me, it's kind of one of those things I'm like, Ugh, I don't really want to write it down, write down my thoughts, but I'll draw a picture or I'll scribble. I'll do a little doodle, but there's something 
honestly about having your hand on the paper and putting it down. There's these connections between different parts of your brain with the hippocampus, which is part of our really encoding our memories and consolidating our memories. And then our prefrontal cortex, which is for our executive functioning. So how we make decisions, our personality, all of those things are up there. And there's this beautiful connection and interplay that also happens while we're sleeping, by the way, where we can see this synchronous pattern of activity between the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. And it really does, it's not only good to help relieve the anxiety, like I mentioned, but it really does help solidify those ideas and those thoughts and those feelings and the emotions that maybe you can't verbalize audibly, but you can verbalize it on paper, whether it's through art, whether it's through, you know, just journal prompts, things like that. Um, and so that, you know, I, I really do love this concept of writing, especially right before bed. It helps start that pathway from the hippocampus to the prefrontal cortex that you're going to do at, while you're sleeping. It's just essential for that brain health and mind health. That's amazing because I'm a big Julia Cameron fan, The Artist Way. I actually did morning pages for 10 years, every single day, front, back, front, eight and a half by 11 pages. And then I stopped because I needed a break because everything can be addicting and, and yep. can have negative properties too. And I was too too much in the paper I needed to, to share with others. I needed to trust and engage. And also I needed to shut my brain off and my mind off and uh, meditate. You really challenged me today. I need to work on that. <laughs> But the brain does house the mind. So, okay, I'm not like totally off. But let's go back. I love the idea of writing at night. I have been told specifically that writing down just three things that you're grateful for, this is like a huge, you know, Lewis Howes thing. I, and he didn't invent it, but he interviewed a lot of people that said it. Um, so what specifically would be a writing prompt that you could do at night that won't cause a person to, God forbid, go into like a negative yeah, I wouldn't start doing like the free for all kind of writing because that can actually stimulate your mind and maybe start getting you thinking. <laughs> right. So I like to do at night the things that I'm already my mind is already spinning. So if you're finding yourself spinning and repeating and thinking about the next day things that you need to do, that's a great sign right there. Just write it down. Just get it on paper. But I do love the idea of doing gratitude at night, but I also see the benefit of doing it in the morning. So, hey, why not do it both times? And honestly, anytime you're going to get that gratitude out, I don't care what time of day it is, just do it. Just <laughs> yeah. start the practice, whatever's going to work with your schedule. If you're finding yourself exhausted and passing out in your bed, then that might not be the best time to do it, but you wake up energized and focused, and then maybe that's the best time for you. So each one of our bodies and minds and brains are so different that you just find what's going to work for you, stick with it, make it a habit, and then that's where it's going to, as long as you keep doing it consistently, then that's when you're going to start seeing the big change. Okay. And what about mantras and how would you recommend going about them? Because there's a lot of talk about mantras and writing them out or looking at Louise Hay cards and what would you suggest? So I always say baby steps for people because I, like I said, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have even been open to, I wouldn't even say 10 years, maybe five years ago. I wouldn't have even been open to this conversation. So glad we met now because <laughs> you would have hated me. You'd have been like, Barb. You know. I wouldn't have hated you, but I would have just said, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's baby steps right? You can look at somebody who's practicing yoga and they're standing on their heads and I'm just like, okay, no, yoga is not for me. I can't do that. I can barely touch my toes, right? But I could go do downward dog. I could, you know, you take the baby steps to get there. So with these mantras and the positive affirmations and things like that, I tell people download an app, 
let somebody else say the words to you. And then the next step would be, okay, why don't you say them to yourself? And if that's too much to actually do that, just record your voice. And then you're just listening to your own voice. Then next step would be actually videotape yourself saying, looking into the camera, eye contact with yourself, saying it so that you can see the lips move and hear the words coming out of your own mouth. And you do that every single day. And then eventually you're going to be able to use those in the mirror and look at yourself live and say it every single day. So it's baby steps to wow. get to that end result. It was actually just yesterday, somebody said, what do I do with my teenager who looks at me like I'm cross-eyed? And I said, well, I bet they're on their phone a lot, aren't they? Why don't you, you know, secretly download an app and have it go off at 10 a.m. And they're going to think that it's so annoying, but it just says like, hi, it's mom, I love you. And that's it or something, I don't know, just so that they can hear it. Do you remember when we were kids? And I don't know about you, but my mom would always put little love notes in my lunchbox and I would get to school and I would open it. How awesome would that be every day to go in and not know what somebody else is saying that they love you or they care for you or you look cool or you're beautiful or whatever it is. Why do we have to wait for other people to do that for us? Do it for ourselves. Give yourself those little dopamine hits every once in a while to, to really stimulate and make yourself feel proud of who you are. Yeah. That's totally Mel Robbins thing, which I love, you know, the high five. The, <laughs> yeah, 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 me too. I love the, I love how real she is. And I also love doing her impression because it's basically Jane Lynch um, with a little yes. organ uh, together, but you got to throw some glasses on. So I, ju I just really enjoy her. You know, I enjoy how real she is and how hard on herself she is and how much she loves herself. You're anyway, so um, <laughs> thank you. Finally, somebody I did, you know, I have impression idol, which is my other yeah. show. I, I like have two sides of my, my mind on the show. Uh, so I do clubhouse with you, but then I also have a clubhouse show with impressions. And, um, I, I, I was like telling Philip, who's my, my co-host, um, no, you don't understand. Everyone will love Mel, my, Mel Robbins. I'll be Mel Nobody Robbins. Knew. <laughs> no one knew who she was. And I was like, I would have a million followers. How is this <laughs> But it's such a small group of people and they're not the ones who are on Clubhouse watching Impression Idol or listening to Impression Idol. And so how can we get more Dr. Haley in our life? Because everyone's going to be in love with you by the end of this episode. Aww. So how do we write to you? How do we take your courses? How do we get your books? Like, what do we do? Awesome. Thank you for asking. Yeah, so I am very active in Clubhouse. So you can find me there and come chat with me um, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. My tag is at Be Well with Dr. Haley. And that's Haley with two Y's. A lot of people think it's spelled differently, but it's H-A-Y-L-E-Y. Um, so that's Be Well with Dr. Haley. So um, that's a great way. Um, my course website for my certificate program that is launching and very soon. Um, the website is under construction currently, but hopefully by the time this airs, it will be out and ready to go. Um, but that is uh, www.academyofneuro.com. Um, and uh, you can you know, sign up. I have a free course on there that you can download and hear from me for free. And then you'll be first to know when um, you know the actual certificate program is being launched. And I'm super excited about it. There's a bunch of different modules really talking about so many different areas and functions of the brain, like learning, like addiction, like trauma and stress, like uh, sex and sexuality and gender differences and applied neuroscience and treatment options and you know taking a more holistic approach. Yes, talking about like clinical psychology, but then also let's talk about other some, you know, quote unquote fringe uh, methodologies and how they actually work in the brain so that you can 
educate yourself and feel empowered to know more about how that hardware works that goes hand in hand with the software, right? For taking care of both your brain and your mind. And, and really it's geared towards empowering people who work with others. So, you know, help professionals, wellness professionals, coaches, people like teachers who work with others and to give them the tools and the tricks and the knowledge so that they can have more buy-in from their clients who are saying, well, why do I need to do positive affirmations? What does it really do? And it's like, hey, this is what it's actually doing in the brain. And now they can have that knowledge to be able to impart that on the, on the people that they serve. Great. And lastly, let's just end with one thing you would love for the entire world to know. What's like one tip to live a life of pure freedom? Ooh, so I love this exercise. I want everybody to go find a picture of themselves as a small child and not just a memory. Some people have really good memories. Other people don't necessarily, but find a picture of themselves as a small child and really look deep into that. There you go. <laughs> I would say even smaller. Find Oh, you're, oh, your fingers were covering yourself. Is that your, no, that's me and my sister, sister in our dance uh, uniforms when we were little. I love it. All right. So think back on that little girl and look at her, right. And say, and then now think back to what, all the adults in your life were telling you to stop doing, that were constantly telling you to stop doing. For me, it was Haley, stop talking, <laughs> right? I was always a talker. Oh, and I got that, every what, report card. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that mean? Now find a way, because that is who you are, right? So many people are like, oh, stop running around so much. Stop being so loud. Stop playing video games. Stop whatever it is, that child didn't have all this influence of social media and news and expectations and morality and ethics and all that. It was just truly what their heart and soul wanted to do and wanted to be in that moment without all of that other stuff that corrupts your mind. And think, and one really great way as adults to figure out what that is, to really find what truly will make you happy is to think back before all that corruption started play, taking place, what people were telling you to stop doing because it was annoying them, right? And now find a way to make that a huge part of your life. For me, Haley, stop talking. What did I do? Now I make a living talking, right? I'm a professor. I have my business. I'm teaching. I'm educating. I'm, you know, being interviewed on podcasts and radio. Like, this is what I love doing. So why not use what I love to do to now help others and make some money while doing it too, right? Make a career out of it. So for you, if you were told that you were always told to stop talking, well, what did you become? You became a voiceover artist and actress and a podcast, right. like, and right. a teacher, like you're using. So how would it for you that you were able to do talking, that too? Stop talking to others. Stop, stop being so much in relationship. And like, that's where I shine, you know, that's, and that's where I, people are always asking me, how do I forgive this person? Like I get calls all the time, you know, I'm, I've been parent parentally alienated. I don't know how to talk to my kid. You're the only person I want to ask how to talk to them. And I'm like, I've never been through divorce. I mean, I was through divorce with my parents and I was a little bit going through that situation, but it was, I was older when they went, when they got divorced. So, um, but yeah, it, it, that's interesting. It's yeah. But I, I think that that will truly give you freedom instead of doing what people expect you to do or what you think you're supposed to do really find what you want to do trust your intuition and that is going to give you a life of freedom trust that little girl inside of you who wouldn't stop talking right that was for me 
trust, trust myself. God created me to be that little person to talk and talk and talk. So why not embrace that and live my true authentic self? And some people have a hard time finding their true authentic self. And one quick way to do that is to think back on your childhood or and what moments. people were trying, yeah. how were they trying to dull your light? Beautiful. And you know, what's so amazing as you're saying this, I'm like, that's what separates you from so many other doctors is that oh. you're just such a great talker. You're, I mean, I feel like we're sitting, you know, having lunch and we're talking about these really deep concepts and it's just so, it's so effortless because you're just so fun to talk to. Thank so you. <laughs> I feel like to be like Dr. Haley, the fun to talk to neuroscientist. Yeah, um, the approachable neuroscientist. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it's even more fun than that. You know, approachable is like, do you want a car? I, I like approach me, but you're like, you're just... <laughs> It is a good word. Actually, it really is. Um, okay, so thank you so much. It was a, such a pleasure to hang out with you as always. And this has been very helpful. I hope that my listeners have felt their ears just quenched. I hope that it's getting a little warmer where you are. You're, you're still- nope, in- it's snowing. We're ready for a storm. I love it. I, I'm from upstate New York originally. So you're when sure everything shuts sure. down with the, the threat of like one inch, I'm like, oh, come on, that's nothing. But I think it's beautiful. I love the snow. I I'm love skiing. So I'm in Florida. Snow. I want snow so bad right now. So maybe I'll come, come up. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you so much, Barb. Have a great day. You too. Okay. And if you didn't take my advice and you didn't pull over because you had a really long drive and you were like, Barb, I just don't have enough time to pull over and write these things down. I made it easy for you. You can do it now, or you can save your place in this episode. Come back with a little email to yourself. That's what I do. I actually write it down in email form and I'll say nuggets of wisdom from this episode and you can label it and you can even put the link in there and you can send, you want to be really kind, you can send your take on the nuggets I'm about to give you in shorthand, send them to the friend that you think could really use it. And then boom, you are helping somebody not only with their brain and mind health, but you're also helping them get more connected to you and what you think is important from this episode. So here we go. Nuggets of wisdom from Dr. Haley. Number one, people do evil things. No one is born evil. There is evil in all of us, but we are supposed to be angry at the act of the evil, not the soul in the person. It's not that God made that decision for them to be evil. It's God or the universe gives us free will and then we can choose... God forbid, to do evil with it. But what happens when we choose to do the great thing, the right thing, the wonderful thing, the best possible thing? That is something that should be lauded because we're not being forced to make these decisions. We have free will and we can make those decisions. Number two, everything that happens to us is for our good and for the greater good ultimately. Number three, every single human being is dealing with forgiveness in a way at all times. So you should always rest assured that you're not alone if you're having to forgive someone. And also, if you're approaching someone who seems a little intimidating to you, you can say to yourself, well, they're also dealing with forgiveness. Just like when somebody says, everybody poops, everyone's forgiving, right? Or should be. And I I hate to use the word should, but in a way, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a part of you that believes that Maybe forgiveness is the super magical power and ingredient that could save the whole planet. So if that's the truth, then everyone's forgiving or everyone's on their road to forgiving or resisting forgiving. Number four, if we were to start every single conversation that we had with, what was your biggest piece of forgiveness to make? How different would this whole world be? Five, 
How does forgiveness help us with brain chemistry? Well, Dr. Haley says that gratitude sets in place the neuro circuitry so it becomes a habit. Forgiveness mindset follows along a neural pathway. We all want to follow the pathways of least resistance. The brain doesn't want to fight against you. So if you can make it familiar, it will become safe. And if it's safe, then it will be easier for you to utilize for your health. You can start setting habits and those can be automatic circuits. Whatever you're putting out to the world is what you will attract. Facial feedback does have an effect. So whatever you put out on your face will affect your inner chemistry as well as the people seeing that face and those who are interacting with you as well. Even if there's a mask on your face, there's a feeling, there's an energy through your eyes, through your skin, through your pheromones that you're putting out. What are you putting out today? Five, how do we use our words or the words of others and how can that have an impact on our brain? We talked about this at the beginning of this episode when I did my intro notes. One of the quickest ways to increase neuroplasticity is exercise physically, right? We get oxygen to the brain as well as repetition of mantras and visualizations, smells and sounds, really vivid pictures of what you want to bring into your life. Keep doing it over and over again. And then your brain can't distinguish between what's reality and what you're imagining and your visualizations. It will actually feel like you've already achieved them. You may not consciously be doing those things, but the habit things, the habitual things will feel like you already did it. Number six, when you surround yourself with the five people you spend the most time with, you'll be a reflection of all of them. That's the energy you're attracting. Powerful people who are optimistic are the ones to be around. They have to rub off on you. The brain wants to do the easiest path. I think you're getting what we're saying here. If you make it easy to hang out with very positive people, you are ultimately going to become a positive person because it's going to be too easy to do it. So two, if you hang out with complainers, guess what's going to happen to you? It's going to be so easy to complain. What do you want to pick? Tie an emotion to how good is it going to feel once I achieve this? That emotion will be implanted into that neural pathway as well. The emotion has to be there and let go of the doubt that it won't happen. Seven, understand your why. If it's a strong enough why, it can really happen. But if there's some doubt in the why, it truly may never align for you. Truly listening to what your intuition is saying and being honest about it helps you get closer to what you really want and helps you create a very strong why. How can the typical person maintain a healthy brain? Ha. Huh. What can we do to take care of our brain versus our mind? These are great questions that came up in the interview. So number eight, the brain is the computer. The mind is the software. Fuel your brain and your mind with affirmations, mantras, visualizations. Fuel your mind. Writing actually writing with like a pen or a pencil or colored markers or crayons, the power of writing helps a lot free your mind and write it down. How do we help our brain, the hardware, right? Well, get good sleep. You need to allow your brain to sleep. Even when you're sleeping, it's working. Give it time to consolidate the memories and hone in on what's important to you and what happened during the day. Stay hydrated. Water, have a proper balance. It doesn't work if you're just drinking soft drinks. You need to get hydrated with actual water, pH balanced water, alkaline water, nutrition, super important, decrease inflammation, use probiotics, good gut health leads to good brain health. And for the mind, pen to paper, help with anxiety before bed, freestyle writing, obviously writing what you're grateful for, uh, what you've learned from the day and what happened from the day while we're sleeping 
the brain and the mind are solidifying the thoughts and the feelings that you just couldn't verbalize audibly, but through the writing of it on the paper or through creating art in like one of my courses, uh, the hippocampus to the prefrontal cortex, it needs that something. And that something is the art, the writing, and the sleeping. Here are some other things that came up. Write down three things that you're grateful for every night or during the day or at different parts of the day. You have a a break for two minutes. Take a deep breath. Take out a cool journal that you leave on your desk at work and write down things that you're grateful for. Make that a habit instead of going to the water cooler and complaining about something. What kind of energy, what kind of thoughts, what, what are you feeding your mind throughout the day? Make it consistent as a part of your routine. Mantras and positive affirmations are baby steps. Do them. They will lead to something massive at the end of them. Download an app. My friend Tasia Valenza has a beautiful app called Haven. Um, There are wonderful mantras in there that can help you. I also have meditations on YouTube. Just go to my YouTube page, uh, look up Barbara Heller, artist and educator, and you can find a whole link that is uh, meditations with Maura B. There's all kinds of them for for different moments in your life. You can videotape yourself. Uh, Dr. Haley says, using eye contact with yourself, hear the words coming out of your own mouth, use them in the mirror, try saying it to yourself every single day. Uh, I did a little Mel Robbins impression, which I thought was fun. Uh, It actually works when you become your own best friend in the mirror, instead of waiting for someone else from outside of you to give you that beautiful reinforcement, give it to yourself. Find a photo of yourself as a small child, really look deeply into their eyes and think about With all the adults in your life at that time when you were a little kid, what were the things that they were telling you to stop doing? What were the things that you were told no? And there were limits put on you. Maybe you even put them on yourself or kids at school were being cruel to you. I know I was told I was talking too much and singing too much and not paying attention enough. And meanwhile, I could have really used some art education, which I wound up having after school, which literally saved my life force. So if if that's the case, Can you have compassion for this little person and can you send them love and can you bring them into your life now? Whatever was limited back then, could you engage it now and express that now? Look up Dr. Haley at academyofneuro.com. That's academyofneuro.com. Send her an email. She's very approachable. She loves to be approached. Uh, And if she can't get to you, I'm sure someone on her team will. And feel free to forward this episode to someone who could really use it if you know anybody, and I think that's pretty much everybody that could use a little help and reinforcement for their brain and mind health, send it to them and have a wonderful day. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. always.